0: I don't think we think about that enough. I know every time I th- sing that song, we don't always rightly think about the fact that it was a sacred head uh, that was wounded and died for our sins. What is sacred? Right, we are so earthly minded Uh, We are so earthbound that we look at the world and we don't always see something divine or sacred. Uh, What we see is sin. uh, What we see is sadness. What we see is heartache. What we see is a broken world. We see a confused world, a sick world, a dying world. And we don't see that over and above this world is a divine and a holy and a righteous god who created the heavens and the earth very good and without sin and we look at this fallen world and we think how can that be and he looks at the fallen world and he says i will demonstrate my love for you sinners in a fallen world, and that I will send my son, a sacred and a holy and a righteous son, to take your sin upon myself, to be crucified and die for your transgressions and for your sin and for your shame and for your guilt. And to sing that song is a reminder that Christ has done all that is necessary to redeem sinners. And we can be here this morning, beloved, together. And we can be together and united and come before the Lord by faith in Christ and be received by him because his sacred head was wounded. And so this morning, we are going to focus specifically on the Lord's table. Last week, we had the privilege of looking at the ordinance of baptism. And the ordinance of baptism, we saw, is is really an initiatory ordinance. It's It's to be done for everyone who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, who has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they are to express that faith through this ordinance of baptism. And it happened in the New Testament, as we saw in Acts over and over again, people believed and they were baptized. And so it's a one-time ordinance. So it was good for us to look, because we have the privilege, we're a small church, right? So uh, we don't have Maybe one day the Lord will bless us, but we don't have 3,000 souls coming to be baptized in one day. Uh, we don't have many, many people coming to faith in under the ministry specifically of our church, and so we don't always have baptisms to remember the significance of them. And I'm thankful for the baptisms that we have, and... And, you know, we can pray that the Lord would save and redeem more and fill up these chairs with more saved sinners, with more people to be part of the body of Christ. And we can pray for that, but we also have to be engaged in calling sinners to repentance, right? We have to be those who go out into the world and leave this place and share the gospel with our neighbors and our friends. To tell them about the sacred head that was wounded to tell them that there is a savior who longs to and desires to save them and to redeem them and god will do his work and we pray that these chairs would be filled with sinners and more baptism so the point is we had a blessing to consider uh, baptism and so i thought you know what since we looked at that ordinance I think it's also good for us to consider the ordinance of the Lord's table. So because baptism is once, it's not all that frequent, we can forget it. On the same end, though, because the Lord's table is practiced regularly in our church, not, not weekly, I mean, we may one day change that, but we practice the Lord's table regularly. I think on that side of it, it's easy for us to partake of the Lord's table and to actually forget the significance of what this ordinance conveys. And that is something we do not want to do as a church and as God's people. Uh, The ordinance that we are going to recognize today is given to us by Christ as an ongoing Practice of the church. It's ongoing and it is central to the life of the church and it's central to the strengthening of the believer's life. And so that's why the Lord gives it to us regularly. But what does it mean? What is the background of it? Why are we even doing this? And, and what does it convey? And so what I want us to do is to look at Luke chapter 22, uh, verse 7 to 20. Luke 22, 7 to 20. And I'm going to ask that the Lord uh, bless this message this morning and bless the hearing and the teaching of his word. And so... Uh, Let me do that now, and then I will read the passage. So let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning uh, grateful and thankful uh, for the sacred head that was wounded on our behalf. And we know that you did that willingly, Lord Jesus, and not out of obligation, And you have given us your word to guide us and to direct us and to teach us. And we have the privilege now, O God, of reading from Luke 22, verse 7 to 20. And I ask, O God, that you would help us to see in this passage what we need to see in regards to coming before you and being in communion with you understanding, Father, what it means for us as a church and even as individuals. And so I pray you would help us to see that clearly, to be humble, to be thankful, to be strengthened for the work of the ministry and the glory of your name. We ask for your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 22, verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished, prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him and he said to them, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup is poured out for you. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them it could be who was going to do this. Now by the time we reach this point in Luke's gospel, the earthly and public ministry of Jesus really is coming to a close. And you can see that there in chapter 21, verse 37 to 38, Luke says, And every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet, and early in the morning all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. And so this is somewhat of a summary statement of the earthly ministry of Jesus now is coming to a close, And so Jesus, in his ministry, Luke tells us how Jesus displayed his power. If you looked at the first 21 chapters, Jesus displayed his power and his authority as the Messiah and the Son of God. Jesus demonstrated power over creation, his power over demons. Jesus was authoritative in his word. Jesus had the authority to forgive sins He had authority over men. He was impeccable in his teaching and his understanding of God's word and so on. But if that is all we ever knew about Jesus and believed about Jesus, if that is all that Jesus ever did, if Luke's gospel ends at chapter 21, verse 37 to 38, we would be in very, very bad shape. If that's all that Jesus is, we are no closer to salvation than we were when he came into the world. If Jesus is just a good moral teacher... If Jesus is just a good moral example, if Jesus is just a kind hearted man, if Jesus is just someone who gives good counsel for living in this life, we are hopeless. We have no Savior. We have no means of redemption. We have no forgiveness of sins. We have no reconciliation with God. We have no resurrection hope to come. We have no way of coming to God and being forgiven of our sin if that's all that Jesus is. If Jesus is just another Gandhi if Jesus is just another Mother Teresa, if Jesus is just another human that walked on the face of the earth that left us a good example, we're dead, finished, no hope. And that's how many people think about Jesus in the world. That's how many people, when they read about Jesus and they hear about Jesus, if they do it all, they basically see Jesus as a man who died a tragic death. Is that how you see Jesus? I mean, ask yourself that question this morning. Is that how you see Jesus? That's how you see Jesus. May God grant to you repentance from your sin of unbelief. And may you see Jesus this morning for who he really is and what he really came to do. And so that's what Luke turns his attention to here in chapter 22. This is what all of Jesus' life pointed to. All that he has shown us about Jesus up until this point has really served to confirm this. Look at Jesus' life, all the things that were said about him, all of that confirms that the life that he lived and the death that he was about to die was of eternal value and worth. His coming death was not simply an example of self-sacrifice, an example of God's love. His coming death, in the end, was that He would die in order to make known to the world that he alone is qualified to be the Savior of men when God raised him from the dead. It is at this point that our Lord then institutes what we call communion. So at this point in Jesus' ministry, he institutes the Lord's Supper or the Lord's table as an ordinance to be practiced by the church. This external sign by which our Lord seals our consciences, Calvin says, his promises of goodwill toward us in order to sustain the weakness of our faith and we in turn testify our piety towards him both before himself and before angels as well as men. And so, What does it mean? And there are four things I think we can draw from this passage to remember about communion. Four things. Let me just give them to you. This external sign of bread and wine, or in our case, grape juice, fruit of the vine, what does it convey when we eat and drink it? Four things. First, we're going to see that it reminds us that Jesus provided a substitutionary atonement for our sin so that the judgment of God passes over us. Substitutionary atonement for our sin so that the judgment of God passes over us. Second, we are reminded in this. Communion service that Jesus established a new covenant of salvation with us. Jesus established a new covenant of salvation with us. Third, Jesus restored us to fellowship with God. Jesus restored us to fellowship with God. And fourth, this Lord's table reminds us that through Jesus, we are united together in fellowship with each other. And when you partake, you pledge your allegiance and service to God. Okay? We are united together and individually. We pledge our allegiance and service to God when we take communion. So those are the four points. So the context in which the Lord institutes the Lord's table is significant then. So if you look at the first 15 verses of this chapter, of chapter 22, look at how many times Luke makes reference to the Passover and the feast of unleavened bread. In verse 1, he makes reference to it two times. In verse 7, he makes reference to it two times. And he makes reference to it one time in verse 8, verse 11, verse 13, and verse 15. And I want you also to note the progression in Luke's account. So notice in verse 1, where he says, Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called the Passover. Then he moves on in verse 7, and he says, Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And then in verse 14, he says, And when the hour came, he reclined at the table. And so Luke is saying, in this progression and in this emphasis, He's basically saying here that God was working toward this moment from the very beginning. Christ had this moment in his sights from the very beginning of his ministry. And the Passover is central to the timing and for for understanding the the meaning of communion. So, what is the Passover? What does that mean, even in the Old Testament? Because clearly, right now, Jesus hadn't died for our sins. He hadn't been crucified. He hadn't died. He hadn't been buried yet. And he's presenting to them this supper as he's preparing to go and to do that. And so in drawing our attention to the Passover, what Jesus is doing Jesus is giving us the meaning of what it's going to mean that he dies for their sin. This is what he's doing. So if you go back and you understand the Old Testament Passover, what is it? You understand that the Passover was first instituted to point us to this event. And the Passover is this annual Jewish feast that commemorated Israel's exodus from Egypt. It was instituted by God in Exodus 12, verse 1 to 13, and in that instituting of the Passover, there was a very specific act that was done. The last of the ten plagues on Egypt was the death of the firstborn among the Egyptians as God's bringing them out of Egypt, the Exodus. And the angel of the Lord came and killed every firstborn child of Egypt. Do you remember that? And to protect Israel, God made an ordinance with them. And everyone in Israel was to kill an unblemished lamb, and they were to spread the blood over the doorframe of their houses. That night, they were to roast the lamb and eat it with their traveling clothes on, with their sandals and belt and staff, ready to leave Egypt. And when God saw the blood on the doorframe, the angel of the Lord would pass over their, ho- their homes and spare their firstborn. And then later in Exodus 12, God institutes the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is connected to the Passover. It's week long. And God told the Israelites to bake bread with no leaven for a week as a reminder of what God did for them in Egypt. The significance of the bread without leaven was a reminder that God whisked them away so quickly that they didn't have time to wait for the leaven to make the bread rise. Okay? So this is is what the Passover's about. And the implication... No, actually, one of the questions that lingers over the Passover is this. If Israel was already God's special people and God perfectly knew where every Israelite house was, then why did a lamb need to die as a sign for the Lord when he passed through Israel on his way to punishing Egypt. Do you understand? If God is God and he knew his people and he knew where they lived and he knew their houses, why did this lamb need to die and blood be put over the doorframe of their home as a sign? Why did the Passover lamb have to die? Why a death at all? And then you ask yourself the question, Well, why did the Egyptians die? Why did the Egyptians die in the Passover? They died as a punishment for their sin against God and Israel, right? God was judging Egypt. And the implication is that Israel was just as sinful as Egypt was. And so they were just as liable to God's judgment. They had been idolaters just like the Egyptians were. And so this Passover lamb was a substitute sacrifice that satisfied God's judicial anger by covering the sins of his own people so that he would not only be gracious but also righteous in the way he saved Israel. You understand that? God is redeeming Israel out of Egypt. He's saving them. But it doesn't mean that he's saving them because Israel is more righteous than Egypt. It doesn't mean that Israel is more worthy of salvation than Egypt. It doesn't mean they were a better people. It doesn't mean they were a more loving people. It doesn't mean that they were more worthy of being redeemed than those in Egypt. They were still a sin-filled people that deserved to die just as Egypt did. You understand that? You here this morning and me deserve to be under God's judgment and wrath, period. You don't deserve salvation. You don't deserve life. You don't deserve anything good. You really don't. And I don't. What we deserve is God's judgment. And so God does this for Israel. And he gives them a reminder by crucifying this lamb and putting the blood over the doorpost to remind them that he is going to redeem them through this sacrificial lamb so that he would see the blood and pass over them with his judgment. And so this ordinance had the substitutionary atonement of Jesus in mind all along. And so our Lord Jesus Christ is noting that he will be the fulfillment of all that the Passover pointed to. You see how Luke puts it there in verse 7? When he says, Then came the day of unleavened bread, that Passover day, on which the Passover lamb, and notice these words, what does it say? Had to be sacrificed. And so that's the first thing the Lord's table should remind us of, beloved, this morning. Jesus Christ provided a substitutionary atonement for our sin so that the judgment of God passes over us. His body crucified, his blood was shed, so that we might be redeemed. And you notice this in his words there in Luke. When he takes the bread and he breaks it, he gives it to them and what does he say? He says, this is my body, note, which is given for you. And likewise, he takes the cup and after they had eaten, he says, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus is the new and ultimate Passover lamb. He's the true and effective substitute sacrifice that the original Passover symbolized. He died in our place. He covers our sin with his guilt. And beloved, when God judges the living and the dead, you know what he's going to look for? He's going to look to see whether the blood of Jesus covers and is over the doorframe of your soul. That's it. If it's there, He will pass over you in mercy and righteousness because your sins have been covered and God's justice has been satisfied. If at the end you come before God having rejected the Passover lamb and having to give an account for your sin and your life on your own without the blood of Christ covering doorframe of your soul, then God will pour out his judgment and wrath on you. Remember that, beloved, when you take the Lord's table. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Secondly, the Lord's table should remind us that Jesus established a new covenant of salvation with us. And by it, he secured forever all the blessings of God. Notice that Jesus offers himself as our Passover lamb, not out of some obligation, but out of love and grace. And you can see this first in verse 15. You see where Jesus says to his disciples, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer earnestly desired is translated with desire he had desired. In in other words, he had a strong desire to willingly bear and suffer an eternal weight of judgment at the hands of God the Father, to bear our shame and our guilt and our sin and the Father's wrath. For sin we had committed, he willingly desired to do this because he understood that the sacrifice of bulls and goats, the keeping of various laws, would not secure for us redemption. It never secured the redemption of Israel. None of the sacrifices ever ultimately secured their redemption They could never keep the law enough. We needed a once and for all sacrifice according to God's grace to secure our redemption. And so Christ comes and willingly of his own grace and his own love and his own mercy, willingly and desires to lay down his life to make atonement for your sins. And you can see this in the cup that he blesses because in the Passover feast, there were four cups. And the Passover meal began with a prayer of thanksgiving over the first cup. And then you had these her- herbs and you had a recollection of the Exodus event and you sang the halal songs from Psalm 13. And then a second cup of wine begins the main course of the Lamb where the host would break and pass the bread around, the unleavened bread, and the roasted sacrificial lamb was eaten. Then comes the third cup, and the third cup is a cup of blessing. It's a prayer of thanksgiving, and the rest of the Hillel is sung, and then they have this fourth cup, which is a celebration of the coming kingdom. And so in the midst of this Last Supper... Our Lord desires to do this, to eat it with them. And notice, he blesses the third cup of blessing, which is the one we drink at communion. And so by doing this, our Lord gives us the assurance that all the promises of the new covenant and all the riches of the gospel are ours by his grace. He initiated a better covenant, a new covenant that secured all of the blessings of the gospel for us. Is that good news? Atoned for your sins and secured the blessings of salvation for you. And so after they had eaten the bread, he says, This cup that is poured out for you, this cup of blessing, is the new covenant in my blood. And so when we partake of the Lord's table, we remember his atoning sacrifice, his substitutionary atonement on our behalf, and then he's reminding them that not only does he atone for your sins, but he has won the victory to secure all of the promises of God in this new covenant for you. Our deliverance from God's judgment is certain and we can rest in his promised blessings for us. All the promises of the new covenant and the gospel. This is why the writer of Hebrews writes this in verse 11, chapter 9, verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he, that is Jesus, entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, not by, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first. And so when Jesus eats with them and he says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, it's a reminder to us that he has secured it all. Third. When we come to the Lord's table this morning, I love this, it means that Jesus restored us to fellowship with God. You see, the Passover is first of all a sacrifice. The entire scene here reminds us that it was also a meal. So the sacrifice, in other words passed right into a meal together. And you see this in the Old Testament sacrifices. They're often attached with meals. Did you ever notice that? You read the Old Testament, you look at the peace offering, there's a meal attached to it. You look at the Passover, there's a meal attached to it. Why? Why a meal attached to it? Well, I want you to think back to the nature of sin and the consequence of sin in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, what was ultimately broken? What was ultimately broken was their fellowship and communion with God. Prior to their sin and their fall, God had created the heavens and the earth, and one of the things Genesis tells us is that God said, I give to you everything that I've created for you to eat and to enjoy, for you to feast on. You could have all the plants and all the trees and all the fruit. You can feast on anything that I have created. And that was part of their fellowship, right? They would commune with God. They would walk with God. They would eat. They would enjoy. They were in perfect relationship with God. And that included enjoying everything that God had created them, feasting on the garden and in the garden. So what God gave them. But when they sinned, when they sinned, Adam and Eve lost that freedom, you could say, to feast in the presence of God. Right? Think, think about it like this. Before sin, they could feast in God's presence in the garden with him there be in his presence and enjoy it after sin no more feasting no more feasting in God's presence no more eating in God's presence with a clear conscience before God How can you feast and how can you eat and how can you enjoy the blessings of God when you know that he is not with you and you have sinned against him? And so in the Old Testament, you always see that when God partially allows them to feast in his presence, it's always accompanied with a sacrifice and the sacrifice of the peace offering is, in other words, to say, now that you, by this sacrifice of this animal, are at peace with me, you can feast. Passover lamb. Now that the Passover lamb has been sacrificed in your place and the blood put, now you can feast in my presence. You understand how that goes? But it's a, it's a partial feast. It's a, it's a partial recognition that God is going to restore mankind to fellowship with himself, a partial restoration of that fellowship as you look at those Old Testament sacrifices. This is why Israel was forbidden to take part in sacrifice, sacrificial meals of the Gentiles, because in doing that, as Louis Burkhoff says, they would be expressing their allegiance to other gods. And so, beloved, when we come to the Lord's table, we are reminded that we are presently back in fellowship with the Lord. And the fact that we are invited to meet with him and to eat in his presence should cause our hearts to rejoice because you'll notice here in Luke 22:16, Jesus is telling them that there is a better feast that is even coming. You see what he says? I tell you, I will not eat until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God and Matthew 26:29 he says I tell you I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day comes when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom and Paul says in 11:26 of 1 Corinthians for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup what do you proclaim you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes and so when we eat beloved We're seeing the atoning sacrifice of our Passover lamb slain. We're seeing the securing in Christ of all of the blessings of salvation. And we are seeing the fact that our fellowship with God to eat at his table is now presently ours. And in the future, it will be completed. You see, our redemption, beloved, is not only for this life, but it's for the life to come. And the promise of a future supper with the Lamb of God should cause your heart to rejoice this morning. Because there's a marriage feast like no other that is waiting for us in heaven. Isaiah 25, 6 6 and 8. Listen to this. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast, love it, of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Revelation seven fifteen to 17 Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. Eleven. Christ says by him and his broken body and his shed blood you are now in present fellowship with the lord that is good news and finally the lord's table should remind us and this is so important that through jesus we are united together in fellowship with each other and we each in taking and receiving communion are pledging our allegiance and service to god note that they jesus says were to take it and do, divide it among themselves So they took the cup, they divided it among themselves, the one cup, and they were each told individually to take it and eat it, take it and drink it in remembrance of the Lord. So this is a meal eaten together, not alone, in the presence of the Lord. And when we each come up and receive the bread and the wine, in just a moment, when you come up to receive the bread and the wine, you are individually proclaiming your faith in Christ as Savior and Lord. And you are pledging a life of obedience to his divine commands. You see, all that this pictures is done for you, but in receiving it, You are saying, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe he made atonement for my sins. I believe that he secured my salvation. I believe that I am in fellowship with God. And I pledge in receiving and having received Christ by faith that I will follow him. You understand? This is why the scriptures have a warning for those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, who are not able to discern the body and the blood of Christ. And we are proclaiming our unity together in him. And you're saying that together we are united in him. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 16 to 17. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. All right. So let me close this up here. The outward sign of broken bread, the fruit of the vine, the coming to the table, the taking it to yourself, eating and drinking together should be something we cherish and revere not to be flippant, not to be like that one church I think I told you about, coffee in one hand, popping the bread with the other, swigging down the juice with the other, sitting down at the table as if nothing happened. No, beloved, everything happened at the Lord's table. Jesus is saying, all that I have done for you is done so that you might be in fellowship with me. So ask yourself this question before I pray. Are you in the Lord? Are you saved? Have you confessed your sin and repented of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Can you say, Jesus Christ is my Passover lamb? If you can't say that, this table is not for you. To be at this table, you must believe on him for your salvation. Second, in considering the infinite value and worth of his sacrifice for your sins, and the price that he paid to redeem you, examine yourself and ask yourself, is there some known or persistent sin in my life that I'm still clinging to? Are you still living in sin? Are you still clinging to the sin of the world to such a point that you love your sin more than you love your Savior? Now, beloved, I know we all sin and we all struggle. But if there is a sin that you know deep down inside that you're clinging to, confess that sin. Ask the Lord Jesus to forgive you of that sin so that you can be restored in a right relationship to him. Third, Is there some sin or anger that is dividing you from a unified fellowship in the body of Christ? You see, this is an act of unity together in Christ. Are you at odds with someone in this church or even in another church that is breaking that unity and fellowship? If there's some kind of sin that you have like Jesus says, go and make right before coming before him, right? If there is a sin or, or something in your heart or life that is keeping you from fully embracing the unity that is in the body of Christ, then you need to confess that sin as you come to the Lord's table and ask Christ to restore you, Forgive as you have been forgiven. Show grace as you have been shown grace. And in this act, commit to loving Christ and loving one another. So let us examine ourselves, beloved. And let's remember all that Christ has done for us and sealed for us is represented in coming to the Lord's table so you want to come up rory let me pray for the bread and the wine and after i pray you can if you're in christ come up fellowship with the lord eat in his presence receive the lord jesus christ let's pray our lord jesus we come now in your presence through prayer And we know, oh God, that you have invited us into your presence. And even though, oh Lord, we are here 2,000 plus years later, we know, Lord Jesus, that you you have promised to be with us. And you have told us in your word that you have broken your body And you have shed your blood for us. And just as you told your disciples then, and you symbolized it by the breaking of bread and the drinking of wine, so, Lord Jesus, we long to do that now as you have commanded us to do. We ask you, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to know your presence here with us this morning that we would not take this opportunity to eat and drink in your presence as if it is only and simply just a memorial that we are indifferent to. But that we would understand that you have uniquely given to this as a means of grace so that we would uniquely eat and drink in your presence and recognize all that you have done for us. Help us, O God, to feel the weightiness of this and help us to know the joy of it. That we know that your sacred head, O Lord, was wounded for us. But you have also earned the victory and in that we rejoice and we thank you. We pray that you would help us to see that. We ask, O Lord Jesus, that you would bless this bread. And that you would bless this juice and that we would eat it in such a way as we commit our lives to you, to serving you, to loving you, to rejoicing in you, and to thanking you for everything that you have done for us. You have atoned for our sin. You have secured our eternal redemption. You have brought us into fellowship with God, and you have united us together in your name And we take and receive now for the glory of your name. Bless it in Jesus' name. Amen.